Open up your Bibles, please, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. We're going to be picking back up where we left off last week on verse 17. We're just going to take 17 through 22 as we continue in the hall of fame here of faith and God using a writer. We're not 100% sure who the writer was. Everyone has their opinion, uh, and I do as well. But we're going to leave the writer here that God is using to to write to the believers, these Hebrew believers, these Jewish believers who walked away from religiosity, walked away from Judaism, and followed Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and their complete faith was in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Not in religiosity, not in religious traditions, and not all these other things that can go on in those days, and still certainly into churches today. But then they were starting to waver because of the pressure from family or pressure from the society and pressure because they were being ostracized because they followed Jesus. Not a religion. And the pressure became so great because they weren't invited to the parties. They weren't invited. They were losing their jobs. They were losing their livelihoods. And the pressure started increasing because they followed Jesus. And many were starting to look at going back and trying to find some quasi-mixture of religions and try to make and create their own thing to kind of have the best of both worlds, as they say. And the writer here is encouraging them through this letter and now using perfect examples from the Old Testament all the way through. Because, again, they were looking about going back to the law and not staying with grace. And we continue here in chapter 11 learning through the examples that God has given us. We have to remember that the life, the, a life of faith begins here in a variety of experience that we will see where the people that we will talk about today is through the testing of faith in their lives as patriarchs. Each one of them had to go through the testing of their faith to build that faith. And sometimes we will see that they failed tremendously. But also did things miraculously as God worked in and through their lives as they were obedient to God. The test of faith is established by the word of God and a Christian's true biblical worldview that we saw in verse 3 of chapter 11 stood that out that we base it upon the word of God. We will see that the theme of testing emerges here from as the writer returns back here in verse 17 to someone we've already studied, which is Abraham. The readers can certainly learn by the supreme testing that these patriarchs have gone through and was called on to sacrifice as Abraham was called on to sacrifice his son there on the altar. What a testing of his faith. No father would want to be asked by God to have to sacrifice his son or his daughter. But by sight, not faith, but by sight, this seems to contradict the divine promise that God had given Abraham. Abraham was able to rise above this trial, above this testing that he was faced with and trust in the resurrecting power of God because he said, I know you're saying my son Isaac is going to be the one that has be the seed that will bring across an entire nation. 
But now you're asking me to sacrifice him. That does not compute to me. You're telling me one thing, but then I'm watching this going on in my life, and those do not line up. I do not understand. But that's by sight. We must live by faith. And our faith will be tested. The testing of our faith will happen as God is stretching in you and helping you to grow in your understanding and your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We will all be tested. And many of you have tremendous stories of what God has shown you and promised you, shown you what is going to happen, and then something happens and goes completely against what you believe God was saying. But then God literally resurrected that whole situation and didn't find yourself. You're like, oh, why did I worry? <laughs> why did I even question this? And that happens so many times in our lives. And it happened even then. So also as Christian readers, as we read the scriptures today, readers must sometimes look beyond the experiences of life in which God promises do not seem to line up or seem to be going to be fulfilled in your life, even though you believe God gave you a promise by his word that it would. But then all of a sudden, things change. In just a moment, one situation, one circumstance, things changed. How many people have we prayed for to be saved before they died? And it was just moments or days before their death, they come to Christ. How many times you thought you weren't sure how to provide for your family or a job available, and it was just that one more time, that one more, that new person you just met, you, that one time you just happened to share what your prayer needs are, and all of a sudden said, oh, I have something for you. And God uses the people in our lives, in the fellowship of our lives, to many times watch so that he can get all the glory and all the honor through it all. So you know without a doubt that was God moving and resurrecting a situation and bringing life to it. So here we see in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, it starts off by saying, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, <laughs> do you notice that? He believed in God. And God tested him. He was tested. What was, his what was his test? His faith. Do you trust God? Do you really trust God? You can say it. But when you're put into situ situations, it will bring you to a point, do you really believe there's a God? And do you really believe that he has you in the palm of his hand and nothing can touch your life unless he's allowed it? it will, you'll be tested. Just like Abraham. He, when he was tested... He had to do what? What was his test? He had to offer up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Verse 19, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. The verb here, the verb that we see here offered up indicates that as far as Abraham was concerned, in his mind, in his heart, the sacrifice was complete. Even though he had not sacrificed his son Isaac yet, in his mind he knew it was complete, it was going to happen. 
Because God said it was going to happen and needed to happen. In his will, his mind, and his purpose, he really did sacrifice his son. He had come to that conclusion. This is what God said. I must do it, and I'm going to follow through with it because I trust God. I don't know how this is all going to play out. Why? Because I received the promise from God very specifically. God said in his own words, in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Now, God, you're asking me to sacrifice my son on an altar. That will send you a mind spin, wouldn't it? Though Abraham had another son, Ishmael, the son of his fleshly attempt to fulfill God's promises where he he and Sarah really screwed up before, that, that didn't count. Isaac was his only seed. God was talking about his only begotten son there. God did not recognize the other son. So Isaac could be called his only begotten son, the the fulfillment of the promise, in Isaac your seed shall be called. Now this should be encouraging to us today. Because as we're looking at this, this news, because every one of us has a bunch of Ishmael's, a bunch of reminders of fleshly things that we are not proud of in our lives. But God, (laughs) that's the best way to start the next sentence. But God doesn't even acknowledge them. Our sins and iniquities, he remembers no more. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12 we studied. And that's why I love in verse 19 where the writer says, concluding. Finally, accounted for, concluding that God was able to raise him up. Let me ask you a question. At this point in the scripture, how many people have been resurrected from the dead in Abraham's day? Zero. But the faith in Abraham through this test, regardless of what he was seeing play out here, he was still under, by faith knew that his God was somehow going to bring his son back to life after he sacrificed him. He didn't know how. He didn't know when. He didn't know where. He just knew that he was going to sacrifice his son because God said to do that. He just knew without a doubt that somehow God was going to raise his son from the dead. Why? Because God gave him the promise that the the entire lineage of the nation of Israel would come from the seed. Can you imagine? You know the story in Genesis chapter 22. Verse 5, where all of a sudden he's, kind of, he's, he's getting up in the morning and he's saying, Son, grab the wood. I got the knife. We got everything it is that we're going to go because God just told me we're going to a place called Mount Moriah. To the mount, the mount there. We're going to go, that's where we're going to go. We're going to travel there. We've got some servants. We're going to go. And they're traveling. And as he gets there, he says to the servants, you just wait right here at the base of Mount Moriah. 
You can't go up. You have to stay right here. You stay here while I and the lad go up to the mountain and worship, and we will return again to you. Abraham's faith was so great indeed. What did he do? Here's a man of faith who is obedient to the word of God. Do you want to know if as your, your faith is being tested? God is going to ask you to do something that's going to require faith. If it doesn't require faith, it's not of God. And that faith is going to test you. Are you going to be obedient and do it or not? And Abraham was going to do it. Because he trusted his God. Yes, the testing of faith can be very, very difficult. Hate to say it to you. <laughs> Hate to give you the, uh, the bottom line truth. The more you walk with God, the further and deeper he goes in that relationship, the deeper and harder those t- the test will be. I know that was probably not what you wanted to hear. But if you wanted to seek your sense of message... <laughs> And yeah, I'm going to get it here. I'm going to tell you the truth. Because I want you to know. Because some people will really get a little upside down when they give their life to Christ and they think all their problems just go away and they're never tested and never challenged and never trials. No tribulation. It's not scriptural. It's not scriptural. These things come because he uses those things to deepen our faith in him through those trials and tribulations. And persecutions. But he says here, he concludes that God was able to raise him up. There was no question in his mind. Even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. What does that really, what does that mean when you really think about it? When you go back and study the scriptures, it comes to light very clearly. Because Isaac was, his, uh, was with his father at this moment in time. He's walking with his dad. He's sitting there going, looking and saying, Father, here's the wood. Yes, here's the fire. Yes, we've got the ability to do that. You've got the knife. But, but Dad, there's one thing missing here. The lamb. Hello? We're supposed to be sacrificing a lamb. Where's the sacrifice, Dad? Now, most people in, in, in you know, you know, if you're not understanding the scriptures, many times they think Isaac at this point in time was, what, about eight, young, weak, little, young, you know, kid. No, no. He was probably about 25 years of old. He could have taken the old man out anytime. He could have. But he trusted his father, and he also knew God. He trusted and knew that God was using his father for a purpose and a plan. And he was going to trust that. And he's going to trust God. And even though he's sitting there going, something's not jiggy here. I don't know where we, but where's that lamb that's supposed to be here? I, I'm supposed to be carrying that on my back too. Because I'm carrying everything else. Except the knife you're carrying in your hand. And what does he say? Son, keep, go back and look at it. In the, in, in the Hebrew and in the Greek. In the Latin. All three. Son, the Lord will provide himself a lamb. Key key information in the language here. God says to Abraham, Abraham says, the Lord will provide himself a 
Now, some of you are making the connection to the New Testament, are you not? You're making the connection that God gave His only begotten Son. Jesus became what? The sacrifice, the Lamb that was slain for you and I. Make the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because interesting prophecy here. He'll not provide a sacrifice for himself. He will provide himself a sacrifice. Isaac was three days and three nights. In the mind of his father, he was dead. He was going to be sacrificed. Just as our our Lord and Savior Jesus was three days and three nights before his resurrection. The other interesting and coincidence, as they say, as you study the scriptures, where the Lord was directing Abraham to take his son to sacrifice was a place called Mount Moriah. And as you go there and you look that Abraham went there, no problem whatsoever. That's where they were going to travel and go to. But do you know the scriptures that 2,000 years later, it is the same Mount Moriah that Jesus was hung on the cross and died for our sins. See, you have to know the entire scripture. That's why we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, the entire 66 books, because you need to know the entire story. And you see these connections of truth. God provided himself as sacrifice for our sins, for God through Christ reconciling the world to himself. Abraham obeyed God by faith, and when he did not know why God was doing this in his life, why, God, is this happening to me? Have you ever said that? Why would God want Abraham to sacrifice his son when it was the Lord who gave him that son? All the nation's promises, future promises, hung On that lad. You have to understand. The testing of faith becomes more difficult. As we walk with God. Yet the rewards. Are more wonderful than you'll ever imagine. When we're at the Bema seat. That requires faith. Now, in Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph's four-generation lineage that we will be talking here the rest of this time, all had faith in God. They weren't perfect men. No, they were not perfect. But they had faith. Yes, we will see that these men sometimes failed. But basically, they were men of faith. And is why we're talking about them today. We see here in verse 20, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Abraham had died, if you remember the name Isaac, which means he laughs. That's what his name means. Why? Because his parents named him that because Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90 and God said, you're going to have a son and they laughed. That's one way of, how'd you get your name? (laughs) You won't want to believe. 
But we hear in the story, we know that Abraham had already died. Isaac was about uh, 75 and left everything to him. We see that in Genesis 25, 5. And we see that the very first test that we have in Isaac's life, the testing of his faith, Isaac's life happened when there was a famine in the land, if you remember. God appeared to Isaac and told him not to go to Egypt, but to remain right there in the promised land, the land of Canaan. Don't go. Why would you think he had to do that? Well, we learned last week and the week before, his predecessor, <laughs> Abraham, went where? They got out and went. To, and when the family came up, they went to Egypt. We see, it always seemed to run to Egypt when things got tough. But Isaac, he stayed by faith. He trusted God's word. Do not go to Egypt. And he didn't go. And through that, we find that he, as he remained there, God promised with Isaac and blessed him and gave him the land of Isaac's descendants. God reaffirmed to him what the promise was given originally to Abraham, that this was going to be the land for his people. Why would you leave? This is, I promise you this land. Do you not think I can take you through a famine in the land that I've promised you? Difficult situations in the place he, I have you? Do you not think I can take you through things that are beyond your own understanding? Because I'm God and I, I'm, I, I have you in the palm of my hand. His faith was tested. We also see the testing of faith came again as Isaac remained in the land of Canaan. But similar to what his father had done years before his birth... By fear or in fear, Isaac presented Rebekah as his sister rather than his wife. Oh, he learned from dad. Not good. That, that one thing he was not good that he learned from. But just as God protected Sarah in this lack of faith between Abraham and Sarah, he also protected Rebekah between the lack of faith at that moment in time. The testing of faith came again when God blessed Isaac with bountiful crops and wealth and God was just blessing him in the place where he was at. And then what happened was another test came in the form of the Philistines. The Philistines came in because they were jealous and they wanted to stop him from being so prosperous. And when people get jealous, when they watch you being prospered by God, they come in and they want to start taking and envying, in this case, the wells that Abraham had dug. Now is prosperous. Now they were trying to get the wells. Did he fight them? No, he just trusted God. He went from that, he moved on with his entire tribe, moved on, dug wells, and God uh, prospered them with those wells. They started chasing him around. <laughs> hey, just let them dig it first, let, it, let the water come, and then we'll chase them out and we get to use it. I mean, it's nothing new under the sun, is it? Happens in churches. God's blessing a church and then people come in and think they can just take a church so they don't have to build it. It's amazing. It's the same mentality that happens. But he didn't, he trusted God. As God is moving in and he went from place to place to place, the Philistine uh, uh, king 
came to the realization that there was a God and a mighty God that followed him and prospered and blessed him because there was no other way that could happen except their God. And what did he do? He came to his senses that let's set a treaty of peace between them and us because their God is a mighty God. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob. It's one of these a moment that when he was in his flesh, he was just, Isaac was trying to, at his end of his life, he thinks he's going to die, and he's sitting there going, I've got to do what I want to do between my two sons, Jacob and Esau. And I'm going to give the blessing on Esau, even though he knew and God was showing he was supposed to be blessing Jacob. That's a whole mess in itself. But out of cardinal reasons, he wanted Esau to be blessed because he really liked Esau more than Jacob. There was a favoritism on his side of that. Whereas mama, Jacob was mama's boy. She was favoring Jacob. And we won't go into all the story, but we know that out of his flesh, Jacob, I mean, Isaac really wanted Esau because he was a manly man. He can go out and get some good game. Bring it home, make some soup. I like my boy. Instead, he should have chosen Jacob. And God made sure that through even deception stuff and all the craziness, God worked that out to make sure it was Jacob that was going to be the one that receives the blessing according to God's will. Now, by faith, Isaac blessed. Yet, Isaac came to a place of faith when he discovered that he had actually blessed Jacob instead of Esau. Do you know the story? You can go back today and read out of Genesis 27, 33. We see that once he thought he was gaming this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to put the blessing upon Esau, and then nothing can happen. Like, God can't change anything now. I get my will. I get to do what I write. So I'm going to rush here and I'm going to do a blessing. It gets switched out. Jacob's under there. Because he was blind, he didn't see what he was doing. They deceived him with all the... Oh, man. But what happened was, is all of a sudden when he realized he had put the blessing upon Jacob and not Esau, it says in the 27:33 of Genesis, Isaac trembled exceedingly. He started violently shaking in trouble because he knew that he had tried to box God in somehow to get his plan done and not God's plan. And, uh, and, he, and God always wins. Have you ever been into your point in your life where you think you are in control of your life and you start manipulating and doing things and making decisions to try to get your way, to go where you want to go, do what you want to do, and you're just manipulating it, even though you wouldn't call it that, but the decisions you're, and the people, you're, the things you're praying for, and things, even though God, you haven't really asked God what he, he thinks, you haven't stopped and really asked what God thinks about this decision? But it makes a sense. My sight, who would not want to do that? It makes common sense to me. That doesn't mean it's God's will. And then when you make these decisions and then God reveals and stops your plan or changes that plan or redirects and you come to realize that was always God's plan and you knew it but you didn't want to admit it. 
and you find yourself like Isaac trembling because God has revealed himself in that situation. Oh, how important it is, my brothers and sisters, that we come to God right in the very beginning of any, any decision, large or small, and seek after God's will before you make a set decision in your mind what you want. Make sure that the desire is truly from God and not from, someone, from you or someone else. So many times we can go by feelings. And here... Isaac was going by a feeling. It was called his gut. And he liked the the food from Esau. And he realized he would always be defeated when he tried to resist God's will, even when he didn't feel like it. And he came to learn. And it deepened his faith. Even though he thought he was going to die any day, because it was a feeling, he didn't die until about 20 years later. He had to live with that in his mind of what God had changed and stopped him from doing, making a major mistake. And God's will was perfect and glorious in making sure that was going to happen. Now, no, Isaac passed the promises and the blessings that he received from Abraham to him. Now he's passing it on to to Jacob. We see that in Genesis 27. And we all see Jacob pass them on to his 12 sons that God gave him. Isaac died at the age of 180 and was buried with both of his sons. And we see in scripture, and God affirmed his covenant with Isaac's son Jacob, whom he named Israel. A changed life. And that's why we see in verse 21, the writer now says, By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons, Joseph, and worshipped and leaning on the top of his staff. I find it interesting, both verse 20, it talks about Isaac really at the end of his deathbed, he thinks, and he's doing these things because he's realized he better get things in order, and he was leaning on his own understanding and not learning, leaning to, on what God's understanding of what he wanted to do uh, with his son's lives. And now we see in verse 21, here's Jacob as he's dying at the end of his life. We see he's blessed each of his sons of, of, of the sons of Joseph and worship and leaning on the top of his staff. Now Jacob's Name is based on his, his character is a deceiver. Here's a man of faith and your name is a deceiver. You've been a deceiver. You, you, and his life is receiving that. And in his entire life as you see working and going up to Laban up into his uncle's place and all the deceiving that was going on. His deceiving with his brother. Deceiving with his brother when he came back on the way back into the promise. It goes throughout his entire life. He's just had a problem with deceiving those around him. But that would kind of characterize most of Jacob's life. But he also encountered a relationship with God that changed his life and became Israel. To whom God made a promise to which he would remain faithful in working through that life of Jacob. Do you realize that happens to you and I? We can be whatever it is that you were. 
And people had all kinds of tags and, and, and characteristics of who you were, of a worldly man or a woman, a deceiver, a liar, a manipulator. It goes on and on and on and on, and we see in the scriptures, nothing new under the sun, as the scripture says. But then when you meet Jesus, and he changes everything, and gives you a new nature. Do you realize many Christians today do not believe that people can receive a new nature in someone's life? They believe the psychobabbles that says you just need to be modified, behavior modification. That they don't believe, even though they say they're a Christian, they do not believe that God can change the heart of a man. So their whole life, they, nothing, I don't care if it's now or 20 years from now, they always look at you as someone who is a deceiver or someone who is completely lost and in their luster, whatever it is that they're labeling you. Versus believing that God changed your heart and you're a new person and, and see him or see her as God sees them. Jacob's life began with a struggle, if you remember. That struggle in his life started with his twin in the womb. His name was Esau. If you remember, right in the womb, he had a problem. He jostled with his brother, wrestling with his brother in the womb. It got so bad, what did Rebecca say to God? What is going on in there? Do you see the war? That's exactly what God told her. There are two nations in your womb who have become divided, and there's a war going on. Whoo! There's life in that womb. One would be stronger than the other, and the older would serve the younger. We see that God telling her in Genesis 25, verse 23. Rebecca and Jacob deceived Isaac during that blessing, as we talked about earlier a little bit. And that just started a whole life of just living and running and running and living and justifying and trying to make it through because they had started this, this whole deception of, the, of their lives. But if you remember, God got a hold of Jacob on his way back. He actually had to wrestle with that man. Come to find out it was God who wrestled with him. And he had a bad limp from that point on. And we see here in the scripture in verse 21, he had to lean on his staff for the rest of his life. We also see by God's blessing, even though he had, his life wasn't perfect, we know in the scripture, God even used this Jacob's journey of his life to a point where he received a dream of a ladder to heaven with God at the top and angels ascending and descending. To give him a picture of what was going to happen, we see in the New Testament with Nathaniel, if you remember, in John chapter 1, verse 51, and the same Jesus' words to his disciple Nathaniel, God gave to Jacob the assurance of his presence and re reiterated his promise to Abraham through that. 
By faith, Jacob, the scripture says, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph. Now, again, we, we look at Jacob's life, and most of his life was just rather just a cardinal life in many things. He really leaned on his, his own abilities and ingenuity and salesmanship to get through life. Yet his faith could also look beyond the death and realize he needed to pass on to his 12 sons the promises of God that is working through from Abraham to Isaac to him, now to his sons. And that his sons would become the ancestors of the 12 tribes of Israel that we see all the way into the New Testament revelation that we will see. Jacob had to learn and lean on the top of his staff because of that limp so many years ago as God confronted him in uh, Peniel. Many times today I, I find as I listen to people's stories, they have limps from their encounter with God as God changed them, but they still have a limp from their previous life. Let me encourage you, my brothers and sisters, if you have one of those limps, a past that really caused, maybe physical, could be mental, challenges still today, but you've been changed. God can work through that limp. He can use that limp for his glory and for his purpose and to help others come to realize they can change their life if they give their life to Jesus. You have to believe that. Because it's true. And if you're one of those people who sit back and you have something against someone because they have a limp from the past, you are wrong to hold that against them. Because God has forgiven them. God has is restored them. God has cre created a new, cre a new uh, nature in them. You must see them as God sees them. God loves them. He's going to do great things through their lives. Don't miss out on what God is going to do in and through their lives because you're not able to move on because your faith is not strong enough. Seek the Lord on these things and be restored yourself. But as he leaned on his staff, he remembered that God was great. Even though his life wasn't perfect, things didn't go well, he made really bad mistakes in life, Jacob, as in his dying bed, literally remembered that God was great and held his future and the future of his descendants in God's hands. And that's why he was able to worship. At the very end of verse 21, he worshiped. He didn't just tell them about the, the, the promises of God. He worshiped God because he knew God was in control of every situation. Even the really ugly, ugly ones. Now the similarities in the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and Joseph, but especially Jacob, are very striking in their stories. We see the importance of family. We see the influences of, an, uh, as an ex of, of example. 
We see in each of their lives, themes in their lives, a little bit of deceit in every single one of those men's lives. We see favoritism within the family and division that caused that and strife between, with, between, spouses, between the spouse. We see the family striving. We see unexpected blessings. And, but we also see reconciliation. We see there was healing and reconciliation that took place in those families. And it's through the testing of faith that flowed these stories after stories of these men's lives. We see one more here in verse 22, and that is in the life of Joseph. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, again, here's another example. He's at the end of his life, and he's trying to wrap things up before he dies to make things right and things keep moving forward based on the promises of God that had given to him. That was passed down from his dad, and then his dad, and all the way back to Abraham. He says, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. (laughs) Can you imagine that conversation with your kids? Kids, make sure you, wherever you go, wherever we're supposed to go, make sure you take my urn. Or make sure you take my casket with you wherever you go. Now, I I had to stop and ponder this because we've been, and Wednesday nights, we're in the book of Numbers. We've gone through Exodus and now we're through Numbers. And we've been talking about the Exodus. We've been talking about them packing up and moving the tabernacle and stuff. And all of a sudden it hit me. In all of that movement, you know one of the things that kept moving? His bones. I, I didn't make the connection as we were talking because we haven't, it wasn't a reference of that until you go back into Exodus where you reference that. But they were moving his bones, <laughs> Joseph's bones. Why? Because Joseph said, I'm going to die here and I know that God is going to take us all back to the promised land. And when, we, when you go, when God, whenever that is, don't leave me here in Egypt. Take my bones with me. I want to be in the promised land that God has promised my whole life and to my dad's life and his life, his dad's life, and all the way back to Abraham. Joseph was the 11th son of Jacob, but he was also the first son of his favorite wife, Rachel. You can go back and read Genesis 37 through 50 on that. But after the announcement of Joseph's birth, we see Joseph next in Scripture. All of a sudden, boop, he's now 17. And at 17, we see that God's working in and through his life. He's already early on. That's why I love working with kids, because God starts using them in a younger age. And when they become teenagers... They are just, I want them here with me. I want to see what God's going to do in and through their lives here. That's why we like them in the sanctuary. Because Why? Because we see right here, God was using this 17-year-old returning from shepherding the flock and his half-brothers to give Jacob a bad report of them, that they're not doing what they're supposed to do. I don't know about you, if you ever had older brothers, that doesn't go well. There's a beating going on somewhere in the house by the time you get back and you told that. We also told that Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Not a good thing to do. 
Because he had, why? Been born to him in his old age and he became this, even even made it clear to everyone. And there's one thing about in your back of your mind, I just connect with that number 11 son. <laughs> number 11 son, that, I really connect with him as a dad. He reminds me of me, you know. No, he made it obvious. He made a very special coat for him to be able to say, this is the person, this is the son that I'm going to bless. Well, that didn't go well with the big bros. No, 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 didn't go well at all. You know the story to save time. You know as they were out about, they threw him in a pit. That's what brothers do. <laughs> Throw you in a pit and let you squirm a little bit and cry out to daddy. Problem is, is they went too far. Even the oldest brother, Reuben, tried to kind of, well, I'll be right back, bros. Don't, don't hurt the little brother. I'll be back. And he had a plan to get him out. By that time, the merchants coming down on the way to Egypt, and they sold their brother as a slave. So when you see these things, this is not some just playing around moment. You see the hearts of the brothers was beyond just playing around with the little brother and upset with the little brother. They were already at the point of bitterness and resentment. And when you get to bitterness and resentment in your heart, you will do things to people if you were in your right mind, you would never do. Well, as we know the story, Joseph's brothers knew that the fact that the father loved Joseph and they came up with some scheme by taking his nice, beautiful jacket, robe, and got some blood on it and said, oh, the animals got him, dad. They knew it was going to cut the dad to the core, but they were covering their own skin. And to make things worse, Joseph began relenting before he was even thrown in there. And he told his brothers, this is what the, put him over the edge. He told his brother and his dad that God had spoken to him and gave him prophetic visions showing that he would one day be ruling over the family. <laughs> oh, can you imagine that conversation? But now here in the scriptures, we see Joseph is now made a mention of his departure of the children of Israel. He gets sold in the slave. There's all tremendous, amazing moments and through the life of Joseph. If you haven't studied Joseph's life, you really should need to go back to Genesis and read it because we find that through all the different scenarios and jail and throwing in the jail and being slaved and moving, God moved his life all the way up to a position of power. He became so wise from God and so powerful in the position he was placed. God used him for the entire, not only Egypt, but the entire known world at that time. And you know the story. The, the dad sends the, the other brothers down to do what? They need to get food or they're going to die here in the promised land. And they had to come meet with this guy they did not know was his brother who was raised to the position being in second in power. Who oversaw all the food distribution. Who had the wisdom of God to save all the food and store it up over a period of time just so that this would all play out. 
See, when you start studying the scripture, you see that God, even in really bad testing times and situation, God is working through the lives and purposes of God in people's lives. This scenario will show you how God is sovereignly working through someone's life. Not only affects his own life, Joseph, but also a family and a nation that God was protecting. And we know the story as they come to here and he finally reveals himself to his brothers through a whole scenario of things to make sure that he was able to see his little brother Benjamin who comes from the same mother and make sure dad is drawn down into Egypt. He, God was bringing the entire nation of Israel down to, to Egypt to go to a specific area called Goshen to protect them while the chaos was going around and all the killing and everything else. God was protecting them in this one land. In Egypt. In Goshen, it was part of Egypt. Waiting for the perfect time to then exodus, which is why we're studying Moses right now, to bring them back into the promised land. And this is where the story comes here by faith, because the faith of Joseph was certainly absolutely remarkable when you study his life. But after the way his family treated him, they sold him into slavery. Who would think he would have abandoned? You would think Joseph would sit there as he's in the jail and he's in slavery and he's being accused of, of trying to rape the uh, Potiphar's wife and, and falsely accused this and that. I mean, it goes on and on and on. You would think of all the terrible things that came uh, against him, he would have abandoned his faith. But he did not. You would think he would have abandoned his family, but he did not. You would think instead he would, he would just find a way to resent and leave and run and never turn back against his family and say, I'll never stay with you. I'll never identify with you ever again. You hurt me to the core and I will never forgive you. But that's not a faith of God. That is not someone who is a faith of God. Joseph is a, a one who was tested and demonstrated the faith of God. It actually grew him stronger through these things. These situations, these tests. Because true, Joseph truly had faith in God. Not just words. Yes, I'm a Christian. No. He literally had faith in God. It wasn't just words. It was also in his actions. It lined up with the testing of his faith. The results of a life of faith and the ability to forgive others is a demonstration of someone who has a, a faith in God. The test of faith, even by ungodly, Worldly influences of Egypt did not weaken his faith and his trust in God. So you can't blame the world if your faith is weak. You can't shift these things on other people because you're weak in your faith. Joseph did not use his abrasive family and his job or his circumstances an excuse for unbelief and unforgiveness? Nope. 
Joseph knew what he believed, that God would one day deliver his people to Egypt, that he, God would deliver his people out of bondage. Joseph also knew where he belonged. He knew he was supposed to be in Canaan. Even though he was coming to the end of his life, he knew that Egypt was not his home. He was going to the promised land, and he wanted to make sure his, his sons took him to the promised land, his bones and all. The faith of his, the father Abraham, that faith was passed on to Isaac. That faith was from Isaac and passed on to his son Jacob. It was then passed on, Isaac and then passed on to Jacob and Esau. And eventually it was passed on all the way down to Joseph. And the blessing from Jacob was even placed on to Joseph's, Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which is a whole other study. But he was ready to die. But he knew and wanted to make sure his sons know, I have faith that God is going to take the entire tribe and we're going to the promised land. And I want you to always remember this. And it's very fascinating. What people don't understand is that they never buried his bones. He was in a tomb outside above so that they could then transport those bones. 400 years, those bones were waiting to be transported to go to Egypt. Did you know that? Because they were in captivity for 400 years until God brought Moses into the picture to lead his people out. But those bones were 400 years waiting to fulfill the promise that God said would happen. And it was going to happen, and it happened. Even they had a care. Now think about the... Generation upon generation that says, uh, Mom, Dad, what are the bones? Why aren't those bones taken care of like everyone else's bones? Because he said he's wanted his bones to be taken with the rest of us when we go to the promised land. When are we going to the promised land? We don't know. We just know that God is going to take us to the promised land. Well, I don't see that happening. I know, son, you need to have faith. I don't see how that's even feasible. I know. But let me tell you about the faith. See, it became a testimony for all of those generations that Joseph, their lineage, their ancestor, believed without a doubt that God was going to fulfill his promise even though it didn't happen in his lifetime. Just like his father, he believed that they were going to the promised land. But he died first. Isaac believed they were going to the promised land. Not before he died. Abraham believed what God told him. They were going to the promised land. Why is that so important for you and I? Because I'm telling you, Jesus is coming back for you and I. Do you believe that? Do you believe we're going to the promised land called heaven? That this is not our home. This is Egypt. This is worldliness that we live in. We're just waiting for God to take us home. And it will test your faith. 
as you go through circumstances in your life right now, and I don't know all your lives, I don't know all the things and the stories are going on, but let me reassure you, my brothers and sisters, deepen your faith and your trust by the word of God, through the word of God, that God is in control. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. Please believe Genesis 1.1. And believe that Jesus, your Savior, is going to be called back to get us and take us into the clouds. Many of our loved ones may have gone before us and didn't experience the rapture. We're like this generation that we see here. May we have the faith like Joseph. Oh, if I go, I'm going to be in heaven waiting for you. You know, just, just know that's where I'm going. And that you hold on to that promise and knowing that you will see your loved one if they're a believer once again. That's why I, I urge you. I, I plead with you. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, give your life to Jesus today so you have the promise of God that absent from this body, you'll be in the presence of the Lord. I know that may test you right now, but understand what the scriptures are telling us today. Who would have blamed Joseph if he turned on his family? Most people, if they're living by sight, I, I, I would have definitely changed. I would have torched those brothers as soon as they walked into that hall. I would have had them just murdered and, and, and tortured in front of me. Oh, that's how you would think. You're not, you're not, you're not, your heart's not right. I'm going to be gentle on this. Your heart's not right. You need to, you need to forgive Oh, I just want them to have pain because they've caused me so much pain. I understand. But that pain or that bitterness is just going to eat you up. It will destroy your life. You must learn to forgive. Or you're going to have a miserable, destructive life. Let it go. Give it to the Lord. Give them to the Lord and forgive. Amen?